Sunday, uh, we played a game called Kahoot. And uh, if you were here, I don't know, I heard the, the, the campus pastors won all the prizes. Does that sound right? Does anybody feel like that was maybe rigged to some degree? Yeah, thumbs up all around. Okay. Um, so one of the questions uh, during the Kahoot game is if the Niners lost, would Pastor Adam sob uncontrollably? That's me. Uh, I'm Adam. And the only reason I'm not crying in this photo is because this was before the game <laughs> started. If I showed you the family photo afterwards, it was three really normal people and then one adult male sobbing like a child. Uh, so I have to just hold on to that. But I want to thank uh, those of you that uh, you just make us better. I, I, I always love to say this, but the best thing about Crossroads is, is, is the people. It's you guys. It's the people that come and love and treat others the way you would want to be treated. And I think and I hope that's um, what people feel when they, when they get here, and I'm sure they do. And so um, I want to welcome you, and I want to welcome you to the start of our brand new series called Dear John. And uh, John was a disciple of Jesus, and if you don't know a lot about John, he was one of Jesus's closest friends, and he was one of his disciples. He was like one of the 12, one of the hand-picked people that uh, Jesus chose. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to kind of walk in the footsteps of John, and uh, we're going to look to some of the, the writings John wrote back in the day so that we can learn how we are to live and to love today. And I think John has a lot to say about that. That would be really good. And so the month of February, um, I know for some is like the greatest month. Uh, it's the month of love. It's it's, the, it's our love for, you know, heart candies and the love for our spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or if you were me for like 26 years, it was just the worst month. And it was a horrible reminder of how lonely I was. And so, but at 26, I got married and now I actually appreciate the holiday. Um, but so this month, people will be like writing love letters to one another. Actually, I don't know if that's true. They may be texting things they like about one another. I don't know if people write love letters anymore. Uh, but we want to share with you for the next few weeks the love letters of John. And I call them the love letters because John, when he writes, he loves talking about love. And so do we here at Crossroads. In fact, if you've been at Crossroads for a while, one of our big things that we like to say is love God, love people, and keep it simple. And we didn't make that up. That's not anything clever like we came up with. We just kind of took what Jesus said and just shrunk it a little bit in a bite-sized sentence, a couple sentences so that we could all remember. So we love that John loves talking about love because we figure um, this, is, this is what we're to do. We're to love God, love people, and keep it simple. Like Joe said, religion complicates things. It makes it like all these hoops you got to jump through and you can't do this and you got to do that. And we can lose this because honestly, and you guys have seen this, right? In somebody else, not, we don't ever see it in ourselves, but we see it in other people. You can keep all the rules and not love God or love people. Because there was a whole group of people in the Bible called Pharisees that kept all the rules and loved nobody. In fact, they were like the thorn in Jesus' flesh because they were the rule keepers. Except when it came to forgiving others and loving others. I mean, he just was so upset with them because they weren't doing any of that. And I think that can happen to us sometimes if we're not careful. So we try to keep it simple. So in John's letters, and, 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 and he wrote a gospel as well, but they're called, we just call them 1 John, 2 John. And third John, and they're found in the New Testament. In these letters, he mentions the word love over 33 times. In fact, in 1 John alone, he uses the word love 26 
times. And I think if John, the disciple John, had a favorite song, ironically, it would be a song written by another man named John. I think you would agree. Any Beatle fans anywhere? Anybody? I know a few that love the Beatles and their favorite. I think if, like, he had a soundtrack to his life, it would be that because he just keeps talking over and over and over and over. And this should come as no surprise if you've ever read the gospel that we call the Gospel of John, where John took to writing down um, the teachings and the, the miracles and the life of Jesus. Because in John chapter 20, he actually refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. He doesn't use his name. Like, that's how he saw himself, is the one who Jesus loved. And I love that about John, that he felt that way. Because here's how I feel. I feel like all of creation, all of humanity, can feel like they are the one who Jesus loves. I just think that we can all kind of grab that for ourselves and go, you know, that's not just true about John. It is true about me as well. So, Some of you may be here and you have yet to fully come to understanding God's love for you or embracing it for yourself, or maybe you've walked with God for a while, but I I hope that today can be somewhat of a reminder of of that great love that we can sometimes forget about. So for the month of February, we're going to have a conversation around these two big ideas, embracing the love of God while embracing others with God's love for them, because I think it's, it's important for us to, to embrace God's love, but it is equally important that we then turn around and embrace others with God's love for them. That in a sense, love should be multi-directional. Love should be like an ocean tide. It comes in, and it goes back out. It flows in, and then it should flow back out. In fact, uh, when water flows in and doesn't flow back out, and th- if that's a lake where that happens, we give really, like, stark, dark names for them like the Dead Sea, where water comes in and it does not go back out. So we name it really bad things like the Dead Sea when that happens, right? Or sometimes if we want to keep it more positive, we call it the Great Salt Lake, right? Right? But here's the thing about the Great Salt Lake. Nothing beautiful lives in that lake. Nothing wonderful. It's not this place of like, guys, let's get on the trunks and let's get in the Great Salt Lake. You're like, ooh, it stinks. It's smelly. And I think what is true of lakes is true of lives. When love comes in and it doesn't go back out, I think I start to stink. I think I start to stink. I think it doesn't matter how much I understand embrace God's love. If I don't start embracing others with God's love, man. I don't think I smell very well to the people that have to work next to me or live in the same house as me or even in the same neighborhood as me. So I think love should be like an ocean tide. It comes in and then it, and then it goes uh, back out. So one of Crossroads' core values uh, that I want to introduce you to is that we value life application over merely the acquisition of information. See, sometimes religion and religious people can communicate, if I can just acquire a bunch of head knowledge, isn't that the point? I can quote verses, I can make a great argument, I mean, I just know stuff, I know how to read the Bible, I know how to pray, I know all this stuff, I know all this stuff, 
But here's what you know, and here's what you've experienced. I, I bet this is true of all of us, that you know Bible knowledge is never synonymous with maturity. That Bible knowledge is never synonymous with maturity, meaning you can know a lot of Bible and love nobody. You can know every verse and be self-righteous and judgmental. I mean, isn't that the argument people make against Christianity is they met some Christians and went, ooh, (laughs) wow, judgmental, selfish, self-righteous, condemning, mean, right? I mean, you can know a lot of stuff, but if you don't apply it, I don't know that that we would call you mature, right? I don't know that you would call me mature just because I know something, because here's the truth. It's easier to know something than to love somebody. Isn't that true? It's easy. Andy Stanley, the pastor pastor in Atlanta, taught, taught me that. It's easier to know something than to love somebody. It's easier to memorize a verse on forgiveness than to actually have to forgive. But sometimes we can live with, well, I know it. It's here, so therefore, I'm mature. No, 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 no. You're mature if you know it, and then actually do it, right? And this isn't just me. In fact, uh, uh, James, brother of Jesus, he wrote a letter of his own. And him here, he makes it really clear. He says in James chapter 1, he said, but don't just listen to God's word. Don't just, don't just come every Sunday and hear it. Don't just sit on your, and read your Bible and just listen to it. You must do it. <laughs> you must actually do what it says. Otherwise, who are you fooling? yourself now here's what's interesting you're not fooling anybody else because everybody else knows that you're not applying it right because they have to work with you they have to live with you they're like oh right they have to work around me when i'm not when i'm not applying he goes we don't fool anybody else but we fool ourselves when we think that just because we heard it somehow we're now better for it we're only better for it if we hear it and then do something about it it is easier to know something than to love somebody and this is why we invest a lot of time and want to invest a lot of time on on helping us better understand God's love for us because if we can better understand God's love for us we will better love those people God has placed all around us because if we begin to embrace God's love I'm telling you other people they won't have to squeeze our love for them out of us. It'll just naturally flow out. I mean, if we just fully let in the love of God and understand it and embrace it at deeper levels, and I don't think that happens in one day or one moment. I think it happens over the entirety of our lives where just in another wave comes in and we're just humbled and we're just, oh, thank you, God. And oh, another, and then it comes in. But when it comes in, we gotta then, we gotta get it back out and not just hoard it and keep it to ourselves but if you're anything like me you need reminders of God's love Um, in fact what we just did today when we partook of communion that is called like a religious ritual I guess to say it very formally and here's what you should know about every religious ritual it's essentially a reminder that's all it is it's a reminder so why should we partake of communion so you can remember because it's easy to forget what Jesus has done for us so when we partake of the juice, we, rem- we remember what, yeah, how he shed his blood for us. And when we eat the cracker and we break it and eat it, it reminds us. There's nothing super holy or like somehow magical about drinking grape juice and eating a saltine, right? But it's powerful in that it's a reminder. So one reason why we come up and preach every single Sunday 
is because hopefully there's something in there that you need to be reminded of, that I need to be reminded of, that I just, maybe it's something I know, but I just need to hear it again. How many of you guys, you know, have young kids or have had young kids at some point, and you, how many reminders do they need for, like, everything, right? But here's the thing. We get older, and we think we don't need reminders. No, we're just big kids. We need reminders, too. And so we're hoping by singing worship songs as a reminder of his goodness and by preaching the word of God, we're reminded of the truth. Because the older we get, we forget. Other things just come to the forefront. And some of these truths and and powerful ideas can kind of just fade to the periphery. Because if you're like me, you're busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. Who has time to really think and ponder some of these things and because we don't take this time the older we get we can forget in december of 1991 legendary director steven spielberg uh released the movie hook which was his take on the classic story of peter pan and wendy and tinkerbell and the lost boys and hook starred the late great robin williams who played Uh, Peter Pan as a middle-aged man. Uh, His name was now Peter Banning. And Peter Banning, who used to be Peter Pan but grew up, you know, he never wanted to grow up. Now he was grown up and he started a family. He got married, started a family, and started a career. And in this movie, the older Peter got, the more he forgot. The older Peter got, the further away he was removed from who he was before, which was Peter Pan. Now he was more Peter Banning, cutthroat lawyer than he ever was the swashbuckler Peter Pan. He was once a lost boy, and now he was just lost. He'd forgotten who he was. He had lost his way. He'd forgotten his identity. He no longer remembered who he was born to be. And this is highlighted in a conversation that Peter Banning slash Pan has with Wendy. And Wendy says to him, Peter, you must make yourself remember. Peter Banning replies, remember what? Wendy says, Peter, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are anymore. He had no memory of of what he was born and made to be. And as I thought about this movie and as I thought about this character, Peter Banning, I couldn't help but think of you and me. I couldn't help but think that sometimes we're like Peter Banning, that we can forget who we are, that as we get older, we lose our way, because often the older a Jesus follower gets, sometimes the less they keep acting like one of his kids, because it's easy to forget that as you get older, that the way that God views you is as a, as a child because you no longer see yourself as a child. Those days are long gone. You're in a career. You've raised kids of your own, this, that, and the other. You're retiring or you're doing this, that, and the other. You've bought a house. You can drive a car. There's nothing childlike about me which can be part of the problem for you and me. That from God's point of view, he sees us as a child. And he sees you as a child even as you begin to raise children of your own. 
And there's just something about the way of a child that is the way of God. That the way of a child is in some ways like this beautiful picture of what it looks like to walk with God. That there's something about being childlike that helps you to become more like Jesus. And I want to explain a little bit of this by just uh, showing you a quick teaching uh, that Jesus gave and that Matthew recorded. And it started with a conversation that maybe John asked him. I don't know. It says the disciples asked him. But it's found in Matthew 18, verse 1. And here's, here's what it says. About that time, the disciples, including John, came to Jesus asking, who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? So they looked at Jesus like as establishing a kingdom. Now at the time, they thought this was like an earthly kingdom with like soldiers and military and territory, but it had nothing to do with military, had nothing to do with territory, had nothing to do with weapons. His kingdom was going to be unlike every other kingdom, including the Roman kingdom and all that stuff. His kingdom was not like that. They still didn't get it, but they're already trying to position themselves for power. And they're like, all right, Jesus, when this thing finally goes down, Who's going to have the highest rank? And you know they're all, including John, going, hey, I'm the one you love, right? Remember that? I wrote that, you know. Uh, am, am I going to be the one that's great in your kingdom? He's saying, they're asking Jesus, who do you think the most important people are? They're saying, Jesus, what kind of person is the kind of person that you want to release, you want to equip, and you want to empower into this new kingdom that you have for them? And his, I, I mean, I can't even explain to you how shocking his answer to this would have been. I mean, it would have been like perplexing, like jaw down. I'm like, I have no way to fully capture what this would have been like. So here's what Jesus says. For an answer, Jesus called over a little child. Can you imagine this? Children being called into the group of adults, which that didn't happen, right? I mean, children at this time, they had no standing. Children were more property than they were people, okay? It's not like today where like parents are scared of their children. Like back then, no one was scared of their children. They're like, you will speak when spoken to and that is it otherwise you be silent you be you know so bringing kids over to adult conversation was crazy no one would do that so jesus called over a child and he puts i love this right in the middle of the room hey everybody let's get around the kid no no no. we don't get around kids they stand on the outside of our circle puts them right in the middle of the room i'm telling you once and for all pretty heavy language Unless you return to square run and start over like children, you are not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. I mean, can you imagine like, whoa, 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 what? What? Whoever becomes simple and elemental again like this child will rank high in God's kingdom. Let the weight of that teaching settle in. He puts them right in the middle of the room and goes, Peter, John, you want to be great? Here you go. Here's what this looks like. He doesn't point at Peter. He doesn't even, Jesus doesn't even point at himself and be like, hey, you want to be great? Like, be like me. He's like, oh, let me find a kid. He grabs a kid from the audience. So Jesus is teaching to his followers then and now is this. You want to be more like me? You want to be more like Jesus? Then become more like them. You want to grow up? then in some ways you need to actually grow down. You want to be more mature, then you need to become more like a child. If you want to better understand God, then you better come to understand him as father and you as child. But I'm like Peter Banning. The older I get, I don't think of myself in those terms. That's not my primary view of myself as, as a kid because I'm an adult making adult decisions and trying to buy a house 
house, which I've never done before, and all that goes with that, I'm doing some adult things. And I just get so busy, I don't take time to ponder who I am, or maybe even more importantly, whose I really am. Now, luckily for us, the writings of John serve as a great reminder for maybe those of us in this room, including myself, that just forget how deep and wide the love of God is. So I want to show you some of the words from one of John's letters. It's called 1 John. And in here, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, and I just love this. He says, see how much our Father loves us, for he calls us, do we have that one? Nope. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Think about that. He says, see how much our Father loves us. And this is how we know he does. For he calls us his children. And then he says, and that is what we are. This is who we are. If you've placed your faith in God, this is who you are. And it looks like almost everyone here is an adult or on their way to being one legally, turning 18. And he goes, you're just a kid. No, 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 I'm an adult. I make my own decisions. No, 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 no. Yeah, I guess you could do that, but then you're not acting like one of my kids. So in some degree, we're supposed to be like Peter Pan and never grow up. We're supposed to remain God's kids, childlike without being childish. See, the implications of this is that as Jesus followers, our self-worth is not based on our net worth but rather God's fatherly love towards you. That what you do doesn't determine who you are, but who, whose you are determines what you do. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are one of God's children right now. Whose you are determines who you are, and you are his. John goes on to say, Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. He's talking about a future time. But we do know that we will be like him. We're not going to be Jesus. We're going to be like Jesus. And when he comes back, we're going to be like him, unlike anything that, that we've experienced before. One day we will be like him, but until then... We need to be childlike, and the more childlike we become, the more Christ-like we become, that these two ideas are connected to one another. I, I know many of you here, you have a lot of different titles and roles. I have many. Here are just a few. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I, I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a disciple. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor. But in God's love, I find intimacy and identity, and my primary title is I'm a child. I'm a child. And if you're anything like me, I primarily see myself as all those other things. I'm a pastor. I'm a dad. I'm a spouse. But Jesus and John, and we'll read shortly, Paul would says, no, 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 this is primarily, this is the one on top. You're a child. You're a child. You're just an adult child. Not in a bad way, like you live in your parents' basement like I happen to do right now. Uh, you're not laugh, not in a negative way, but you're an adult kid of God. 
this, this informs the rest. This title informs all the other titles that you have. What are some titles that you guys have that I didn't already mention? Just someone raise your hand and let me hear it. What, what are some titles you have? What do we got? Hands? Yep. What else? What else we got? Come on. Don't be shy. What do you got? What do we got? HR manager? Grandpa? Doctor? I didn't know that. Is that? Okay. Yeah. So God would have you, if you're a follower of God, would have you take all those titles and put them underneath that one. And that you view all those different titles in light of this one. So this is what question I wrote down to ask myself, and, and maybe it would be helpful for you. In light of the fact I'm a child of God, how should I parent my own children? In light of the fact that I'm a child of God, what kind of spouse should I be to Christian? In light of the fact that I'm a child of God, what kind of son should I be to Jim and Debbie? In light of the fact that I'm a child of God, what kind of Christian should I be? In light of the fact that I'm a child of God, what kind of employee should I be at Crossroads? In light of the fact that I'm a child of God, what kind of neighbor should I be to everyone who has to live around me? The implication being, since we are his kids, we should act like his kids. Sometimes we have to say to our kids, when they've done something that doesn't fit with how we like to do life, we'll be like, that's not how the Zulums do it. That's just not how we do it in the Zulum family. We just do things differently in the Zulum family. I think God sometimes looks at us as kids and he's like, and he says this to me for sure. Hey, Adam, that's just not how we do it in my family. And I'm like, oh, but that's how I like to do it, and especially when I'm grumpy and irritable or being selfish. He's like, yeah, but Adam, that's just not how, I, how we do it in our family. And I'm like, all right, I got it. That I think God is calling you and me to become childlike without the childish part that we are to be mature children because here's the truth about most children most children it's easier for them to trust it's easy for them to be courageous it's easier for them to be adventurous it's easier for them to try new things it's easy for them to be obedient it's easy for them to be dependent it's easier for them to live more honestly it's easier for them to live more authentically that may not be true of your child, <laughs> but let it be true of God's kids. I mean, God went to great lengths to give humankind an opportunity to become a child of God. People of every race, gender, color, nationality. John wrote in his gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's Jesus. He gave his son so we could become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Paul wrote it this way in Galatians 4. And he said, but when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son. <laughs> what this tells me is that God has a timeline that he works off of, and it's good, and it's perfect. But I'm in a season of life right now where I feel like his timeline stinks. And he's way late, way later than I would like him to be. I just wish he would speed up and become and work off of my time and my schedule. I don't know if you can relate to that. But this is a reminder and an encouragement to me that when the time was right, 
God sent his son, born among us, born under the conditions of law, so that he might redeem those who have been kidnapped by the law. He came to bring redemption to those who are carrying heavy burdens and those who have bondage. That Jesus came to save us from the very things that enslave us. And I don't know if you've noticed this about humanity. The very things we look to to save us are the very things that enslave us. We go, we look to that guy or to that girl or to that thing to somehow fill us with joy or fill us with contentment or give us the peace that we want. And the very thing that we're going, save me, is the very thing that enslaves me. And Jesus come to set us free from all of those things that bind us and weigh us down. Paul goes on to write, thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. He's like, there's a heritage for my kids. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted. Again, there's that idea of how we become his kids. We are fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Papa, Father, that's intimate. Joe said this earlier when he came up and talked about religion. Religion is God's over there. You are somewhere over here, there's a great gap and there's a great distance and the only way you can feel connected is if there's a mediator in between you and God. That could be a priest or a pastor or a building or some other holy man or some other holy place. But you can't just go past all that and just go, hey dad, what's up papa? No, 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 we gotta, no, that's too close. You come over here, let God over there because he's holy and you're not. He's holy, you're not. And then, of course, Jesus comes. And who did Jesus hang out with all the time? The most unholy, ungodly people, like hookers and drunks and gluttons. And the reason why we know he hung out with them is because they started accusing Jesus of being the very thing of the people he hung out with. They're like, oh, Jesus, you must be a glutton, too, because you hang out with gluttons. And you must be a drunk because you're always hanging out with drunks. So let's abandon this whole idea that God is so holy we can't just go up to him because Jesus is like eating dinner with them. That's pretty intimate. In fact, in those days when you had dinner, you, just, you didn't sit on chairs. You laid on the floor next to one another. Even more intimate. In fact, there's a story with the disciple Jesus loved, which we now know as John, where they're laying on the ground having dinner, and John rests his head on Jesus' lap. That's pretty intimate. <laughs> that is pretty intimate. And so Paul is trying to dispel this idea that as his kids... You know, it's like you're a kid and you just shut up and stay silent and don't walk into the living room where dad's at because that's dad time. I think that's why he took the kid and put him right in the middle of the circle earlier on and said, ah, you come right here. Everybody needs to see this. And this is what I want you to do. Walk right into the middle of the room and talk to your heavenly father because he is a good In God's love, we find intimacy and identity, and you are his child if you place your faith in him. So I, I want to invite you, and this is the application part. We always try to tackle an application, um, and, and you can do it. Or, or you know, uh, I think this could be uncomfortable. I think more uncomfortable for men would just be my guess. I don't know that for sure. But could be uncomfortable for everyone. And it could be something you've never done before. Uh, as a guy, when I think of God as Papa or as Daddy, which, by the way, 
I didn't get that idea. Jesus did that. He said to his disciples, hey, when you pray, call him daddy, which no one had ever heard before. No one had ever done before. That is intimate. That was God just taking away thousands of years of how people interacted with the gods, which were distant, which were mean, which were angry, and you had to just sacrifice even your own kid to make him like you. And now he's like, no, 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 when you talk to him, just go, Dad. What's up, Dad? Hey, Daddy. I'm telling you, there may be something in you, you hear that, and you think about praying that way, and you're like, gross. I don't know, it's uncomfortable. As a guy, I always joke that I, this is stereotypical, so sorry, but I always joke that, like, girls want to, like, slow dance with Jesus, and guys, we want to camp with him, right? Like, girls want to be close, and like, oh, Jesus, I love you, and then guys, I'm just kind of like, let's just sit around the campfire and talk, and you can tell cool stories, and we'll talk about the miracles you did. You know, that, that's how I kind of see it sometimes. So for me, sometimes thinking of, like, God as, like, Daddy is like, oh, man, that's kind of weird. That's kind of interesting. But here's what I invite you to do, and I've done it already, and I'm going to read it to you in just a second. But I want to invite all of you here to write a letter to your Heavenly Father that starts with this, Dear Daddy. You can use a phone, find a pencil somewhere paper. I want you to write a letter. It doesn't need to be long. I want you to write a letter, and I just want you to start with Dear Daddy. And I, I did this on my phone, and so I want to I read to you mine, because this was a good reminder. This was a good practice for me to begin to remind myself that he's my dad, and I'm his child, even though I'm soon to be 44. I wrote, Dear Daddy, I recognize that I don't always remember to see you and speak to you as my father. I admit, you're, when, I admit when your timing doesn't make sense and when I'm faced with difficult circumstances, I want to go my own way. Dear Daddy, remind me of who I am. Remind me of whose I am. I am your son. Show me how to act like him. Teach me how to walk in your ways. Show me your love and show me how to love those around me. Dear Daddy, thank you for sending Jesus to save me. Thank you for adopting me into your family. Thank you for changing my life, giving me hope, and giving me a reason to live. I love and thank you to your son, Adam. know how comfortable that is or how easy or hard that is for you, but I want to invite all of you to do that. Uh, you don't have to post it or do anything crazy. Just sit down and collect your thoughts and say, hey, dear daddy, because I think it's a great way to remind you of what your primary identity is. Yes, you're still a mom. Yes, you're still a dad or a son or a daughter or a friend or whatever your job is, but on top of all that is a child. So the last thing I want to share is something John shared, because you may be here today, and um, you have yet to embrace the love of God for yourself. You would say, Adam, I'm not a Jesus follower. Um, I've not made that decision. I want to share with you what John said in his gospel about how that works. He says in John 1, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
but to all who believe and accept him who gave the right to become children of God. This is how it happens. Religion will not tell you that. Religion will say, if you stop eating this, stop drinking that, start doing this, start doing that, stop doing this, start doing that, stop doing this, start doing that. If you stop doing this and you start doing that, all these things, then you can become a child of God. This would have been the perfect time. These are Jesus' words. This would have been the perfect time for Jesus to quote the Ten Commandments, which everybody had heard of. And he should have, right? He should have said, all right, if you want to become a child of God, thou shall not do this, and thou shall not do that, and there shall not be this, and thou shall not do that. And this is his perfect chance to settle the question once and for all. And he doesn't quote the Ten Commandments at all. He says, to all who believe and accept, have the right to become children of God. If that's you today, I, I want you to seriously consider the way of Jesus. And if you've yet to ever believe in him, have that conversation. Begin to pray and go, Jesus, I want to believe in you. I want to accept you. The way of God is unlike any other way. It's an amazing way. The peace, the hope, the forgiveness, the joy. He lifts your burdens. If that's you today, I want you to know this. And Jeremiah wrote this. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. God knew you before he formed you. The question is, do you know him? And if you don't know God, he wants to be known by you. And I would love to pray for you if you've never given your life to Jesus this morning. I'd love at the end of service if you would give me the, the privilege and honor to pray for you. I'd love, I'd love to do that. Um, I want to close in prayer now. And uh, um, I want to invite you. We're all family here, whether you've been here a week or since this, this campus first started. Uh, so you can pray with anybody. Um, but if you, if you need prayer for anything, I'm, I'm going to be here. And uh, keep coming back because we've got a lot more to say and a lot more reminders that we want to talk about as far as the love of God coming in and then the love of God going back out. And I'm super excited about this series because we're going to talk about how God says that we are to love the whole world as we are. And then in another teaching, he says, and whatever you do, don't love the world. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what? Over here, you tell us to love the world. And then over here, you tell us not to love the world. What do we do? We're going to talk about all that. So keep coming back. Would you stand with me as we pray? And if you need prayer after that, please come up. And the newcomer's launch will be happening right after. If you've never uh, participated in that, we'd love to have you join us for that. So, God, I thank you for my friends gathered here, your kids gathering here together. I thank you that you removed all the mediators that man and women had to jump through and go past to get to you, that you just put the kid right in the middle. And you want us, even as adults, to see ourselves as your kids and that you are our heavenly father. Help me to embrace that. Help that to settle into my soul and into my heart, unlike any other way so that when I'm hurt, when I'm frustrated, when I'm confused, when I feel like you're running late, when I feel like you're not there, I can remember that you are my dad and you are a present father. You're not an absentee dad. You never abandon your kids. You never leave us orphans. You adopt us into your family and you take care of us. Encourage us in that. Remind us of that and lead those who have never been adopted in your family. Encourage them put their faith and acceptance in you. And we ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.